I realized I, you know, the way my brain was wired was needed to be reset because that was, I was already prone to worry and anxiety and nervousness. And, and I realized that like, I needed to change that and I needed a new perspective. And so the psychedelic therapy really showed me that you can unplug and plug back in, control, alt, delete, if you will, and come to life in a way that doesn't require you to worry, where it's not your default setting. Welcome to the Set and Setting Podcast with Madison Margolin. As a journalist, Madison has spent years exploring the intersection of psychedelics, cannabis, and culture. This podcast brings together thought leaders from today's psychedelic renaissance to talk about the role of psychedelics in our inner and outer lives. You can support this podcast and find additional resources at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Madison. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Set and Setting on the Be Here Now Network. Um, our guest today is David Romanelli. He's a wellness innovator who has written three books, which have been number one Amazon bestsellers. His book, Happy is the New Healthy, was inspired by a friendship with a 111-year-old whose three tips to longevity were sex, vodka, and spicy food. The Joie de Vivre uh, inspires his storytelling, reminding you we are all so busy that many nights we put our head on the pillow to go to sleep and don't remember a moment from that day gone by. Uh, in October, he joined forces with Day Trip to open a psychedelic retreat center called Birdsong. It's run by doctors and nurses and intended for people with trauma, depression, addiction, or just the need for self-exploration and how to restore that joie de vivre. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Food and Wine, Newsweek, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, to learn more, you can visit his website, davidromanelli.com. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you know, I'll tell the audience that Dave and I met recently through his work with Birdsong and Day Trip, um, which, you know, are both very incredible places, um, both Birdsong as a retreat center space in Phoenix and Day Trip um, as a ketamine clinic. And so I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more in the episode. But Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I am, um, you know, I wanted to start off, you know, I know a little bit about your background, you know, you're coming from this sort of Grateful Dead fandom and background in yoga and you've written all these books, but what was, you know, what was your, um, your path that kind of led you to where you are now? That led me to the psychedelic journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, just knowing you, knowing you love the dead, knowing you've taught yoga, you know, now that you're, now that you're kind of involved with day trip and ketamine, like what, you know, how have all these different threads of your life, um, and of course your writing as well, how have they kind of, um, you know, what's been like the overarching message, so to speak, right? Like, you know, what what did you get into first and how did one lead to the, to the next? Well, after college, 1996, I took a yoga class. At the time, yoga was not mainstream. It was starting to become a thing in LA and New York. And there was a line down the block for this yoga class uh, was a profoundly awakening spiritual experience, but also this really sweaty, intense workout. And a friend that I was with said, this yoga thing is amazing. It's going to take off. Let's quit our jobs in LA and move somewhere where there's no yoga. 
So we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where I live now, and we opened the first chain of boutique yoga studios in the late 90s called At One Yoga. And, you know, this was a time when yoga was still a little stodgy, which I think, you know, we kind of wish that it would become again, right? The incense sticks and the the tradition and the leotards, but it wasn't totally inviting to the mainstream population. And so we got rid of the senior kind of guru philosophy and we turned up the hip hop music and made yoga very inviting and accessible and familiar to, to the mainstream. And so we opened this, this whole chain of studios in Phoenix. And that was how I, I really got my start on this path. Um, and then I started teaching yoga and continued this invitation. How do you make yoga more inviting? And I would, uh, fuse yoga with passions and sensibilities. So I would do like yoga and chocolate workshops with my friend who started Vosges chocolate. And I would do yoga and wine workshops with this wine expert, Angela Gargano. And we did yoga for foodies workshops with all these chefs and to the purists, this was a terrible thing, but for people who were intrigued by yoga, but not totally kind of getting in onto the mat, it made it that much more fun and interesting. Um, and then there was another sort of turn in my path because when I was doing all this yoga, my last surviving grandparent was in an old age home in LA and I would visit her each week and saw how depressing it was at these old age facilities. And here I was in the yoga world where the 32 year old yoga teacher with a big Instagram following was the source of wisdom. And, you know, the Holocaust survivor, the 88 year old Holocaust survivor was dying a lonely death in the old age home. So I, I started interviewing older people all over the country. I did a series of events called Drinks with Your Elders, where I would invite isolated older people in the different communities to come and share their stories with younger people and wrote a few books about it. And that kind of was a new chapter in my life. And the most recent chapter was that my daughter had uh, was three years old at the time, had uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And that was the real shift for me um, and a scary, very scary experience for a parent. And she's great today. She's um, turning seven and living her best life. But going through that was severely traumatic. And I needed a new playbook because the things that I was doing for health and healing were not totally working when you're going through that kind of trauma and worry. And so I, I found psychedelic therapy to be profoundly healing and that it allowed me to kind of stop worrying, at least stop worrying to the extent that I could reset and be a better father and husband. And, um, I was so touched by the power of psychedelic therapy that I embarked on a new career path in the last year. And I'm working with a day trip, which is sort of a spa-like ketamine experience in Phoenix. And I started leading retreats. People would come in from all over the country, mostly new to psychedelics, but interested. And I would take them to day trip for ketamine sessions. And then we'd go hiking in the desert and we'd go to the cold plunge place and have great dinners together, like kind of a yoga retreat with a psychedelic component. And it was so... Um, resonant 
that we opened our own psychedelic retreat center here in Phoenix called Birdsong, which just opened in October. And that led to my meeting you and to this moment right now. So that's my circuitous path to today. Well, well, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, when you first got into yoga, kind of the spiritual component um, that you came to with it, you know, came to understand as part of yoga And then you were also saying, you know, around the time of your daughter's diagnosis, like that, what you were doing, like, wasn't, wasn't like working, right? Like it wasn't giving you the maybe spiritual sustenance that you needed. So what, when someone is looking into kind of like a health practice or a spiritual practice or something that's going to give them that, that sustenance they need, especially like in the hardest moments of life and also in, in day to day, like, what is it, um, what is the substance of that? Like, what is, what are you looking for personally? and yeah, how would you, how would you describe it, you know, for other people kind of looking to give more, um, you know, I guess like spiritual nutrition to their lives. Well, my, my practice before my daughter's diagnosis was in the, le- the great lesson that I learned from the oldest of old, like the lady who inspired my book, Happy is the New Healthy was a super centenarian and her whole philosophy was joie de vivre. You know, you gotta, and this is a thread that binds a lot of the oldest, happiest people that I've met is you have to do something every day that allows you to cherish the gift of being alive. It's really hard to do now with technology consuming a lot of our time and energy. And we kind of gloss over life and we're very busy all the time. Everything's super convenient. And sometimes entire days go by where we don't, take a pause and and really cherish that we're here, you know, and that we're alive and it's cliche, but I think it's true for a lot of people. And so that was always my, my great like source of wisdom. And the the takeaway from the, the older people I interviewed was how do you have a moment in your day to make sure that you're, that you're enjoying being alive and that you're sharing that. But that kind of changed when, when you're in a traumatic state, like your kid's getting cancer treatment and you're in the hospital 18 nights in a row and you're worried out of your mind and no one can really say that the thing that's going to heal you before it was always like my yogis and my, the yogis could make me feel better. (laughs) And you know, like the, the self-help gurus would have something to say and that would nourish me. And I, I realized I, you know, the way my brain was wired was needed to be reset because that was, I was already prone to worry and anxiety and nervousness. And and I realized that like, I needed to change that and I needed a new perspective. And so the psychedelic therapy really showed me that you can unplug and plug back in control, alt, delete, if you will, and come to life in a way that doesn't require you to worry where it's not your default setting, but your default setting when you wake up in the morning can be one of, of gratitude and noticing all that's beautiful. You know, like it was the scariest moment of my life to go through cancer with my, my daughter. And I still have tremendous fear, but the the gratitude and the joy that I have today is much more pure. And it was a gift that I received from that experience. So I don't know if that answers your question, but and was that experience specifically ketamine when you're talking about the psychedelic, psychedelic therapy? When you well, were- actually, the first the first couple psych I mean, I always had recreational psychedelic experience with touring with the Grateful Dead and 
you know, back in the day. But it, the therapeutic experience is completely different. And I had the psilocybin, like a a big dose of psilocybin with a, a, an amazing uh, medicine woman here in Arizona. And I found, and I it was profound. I can't say I loved it because it was kind of a harrowing experience to go through your fears and unwind from that. Um, ketamine, I found it to be a lot easier. Um, I call it like the blue hill on the ski mountain versus, you know, psilocybin can be like the double black diamond. So as long as you're ready for the double black diamond, it's, it's deep and profound. Ketamine was just a little easier. And that was something that I would um, feel more comfortable suggesting to people who are new to psychedelics. What, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit when I came and visited Birdsong, but you know, there are so many different types of psychedelic therapeutic experiences, right? Like you said, you were on tour with the Grateful Dead. You know, the psychedelic community of the Grateful Dead is so much different than the psychedelic communities of people who are doing ayahuasca ceremonies or people who are doing psilocybin work or going to academy clinics. So, and you know, what I, what I really like is, you know, having been at Birdsong, even the fact that Birdsong is named after a dead song, um, you know, how are you sort of like bringing together those, those different worlds? Like what is, you know, kind of how has the dead really shaped your, you know, who you are and your relationship to this, to psychedelics and how are you bringing that into the more, um, you know, retreat and, uh, contained, uh, vibe that, that ketamine therapy is? Oh, that's a great question <laughs> because we're bridging the gap at Birdsong. It's a beautiful set and setting might say a little more upscale. There's a medical component because it's run and overseen by doctors and nurses, but it's not just medical. Medical can be very sterile. And, you know, I think that what we're doing at Birdsong is combining the world of, you know, medical safety because ketamine is the one legal psychedelic right now. And we want people to come and feel that they can relax, that they're in good hands, that they're safe. You know, we, we do a medical intake before they come They're We're always monitoring their vitals during their, their psychedelic journey always have a nurse practitioner on hand. So it feels very safe. And I think when the set and setting is such, you can go deeper and, and relax, but then it's not just medical. It's a soulful experience to discover the depth of your being. I call it a safari to the soul and, you know, the grateful dead and the, the whole history of, of psychedelics, there's a side of it that is very colorful and beautiful and dare I use the word fun, you know, I mean, and I think we want people to come to a psychedelic journey and feel safe, but also realize that this is supposed to be a soulful yogic experience to discover those parts of yourself that sometimes lie dormant. I think a Grateful Dead concert was like that for so many people, something is awakened and you just want to follow it and, and, and trust it and let it become a better, a bigger part of your, your world. So that's kind of how we're bridging that divide. Hmm. What, um, just curious, cause it's, you know, it's so fun for me to talk to deadheads. Do you have any like particular experiences with the dead that stand out to you or that really, like you, you talked about being awoken. So, or woken up. So what, you know, anything in particular for you that happened? Well, I mean, 
I got to see Jerry Garcia 30 times before he died. <laughs> so I'm so, I feel so lucky to have had that experience and to share with the, the new age of deadheads that saw the John Mayer years, which I thought were great. A lot of people were kind of not willing to go there, but I think that the John Mayer era was, was super fun and you kind of got to relive the community and, and spark some of those memories back to life. Um, and I think seeing one of the great guitarists of all time and, and that this kind of way that they improvised every show and they were willing to experiment and trust the music, um, you know, was a great life lesson because if we are always in our rational mind and we're in the quote unquote matrix, it's everything is sort of, uh, difficult every day. It's a grind. You know, we kind of give up our human powers. We relegate our human powers of intuition and vision and empathy. I mean, you can't relegate that to technology. And so uh, that was my favorite part of the dead show was that every show is different and it, every day is different. And if we're willing to honor the gift of every day being different and, and being open to that, you kind of bust through the monotony and the grind and you live in a, a more grateful state. So that, that was for me a big life lesson from, from the Grateful Dead. And any of that like jam band music, I think gives you that reminder. Yeah. And why um, Birdsong as the namesake for their center? Well, I think when we purchased the home, it was a bird sanctuary. And you hear literally the songs of birds. And, and the, my partner at Day Trip, Chris Cohn, is also a big fan of the Grateful Dead and loves bird song, the, the, the song bird song. And so we thought it was the perfect way to kind of bridge these worlds. And for anyone who has that history for the, the, the beauty of psychedel of psychedelics, I think you'll, it'll be a little bit of a tip on, on kind of part of where this, um, this place is rooted in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also want to talk about, you know, what I find so novel about what you guys are doing with Birdsong and Day Trip is that it's like the clinic comes to you. And so, <clears throat> you know, when people think about ketamine therapy, they think about going to a clinic and also the clinic Day Trip is gorgeous and super comfortable. Or, you know, it's it has everything you want in a clinic. Um, but, you know, what I think is genius is the way that you guys have Birdsong set up and, you know, for the audience here. It's really, you know, it's this gorgeous house in Phoenix and, um, you know, the hot tub and ice plunge and big backyard and birds chirping. And, um, you know, they have this main room, which is, you know, for psychedelic sessions. And it seems that, you know, part of part of what's so cool is that you get to do it in the place where you are staying. Right. So like the, the ketamine comes to you um, and I, it almost starts the integration process immediately. Right. Because you you don't, you don't leave the clinic and then go into your life, but you, you know, you're already stationed where you're going to be having the rest of your day, whether that includes yoga or healthy eating or, you know, whatever else someone would come to birdsong for, which, you know, the medicine is only one component of, you know, a whole kind of program of offerings. So, you know, what, what was your, um, you know, your vision and goal, um, in putting that together? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, there's a lot of psychedelic retreats all over the world and all over the country. 
um, we wanted to make this psychedelic retreat first. It's legal, so I think it's it's a little bit of a softer landing for someone who's new to psychedelic therapy, or if you're an experienced psychonaut and you know you want to bring someone who's new to psychedelic therapy. I think it feels like a little bit of an easier first step. You know, when I did my psychedelic therapy sessions that I mentioned previously, I would come home after the therapy and I have young children. <laughs> and so it's a shock to the system as a parent with responsibilities, you know, to, to come straight from four grams of psilocybin in a therapeutic setting to getting like pelted with Barbie dolls and Nerf pellets. <laughs> and I was like, this is really hard to do. And I know that there are other people out there for whom it's tricky to step away from your job for a long period of time um, or your your children. So we have a couple ways that we do this. We have a something called Sacred Saturdays. And people come to Birdsong for an entire Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, and it's a chance to unplug from your life for a day because a lot of times weekends are not as restful as we would we hope or want them to be. So it's a chance to unplug from your life and you start with a little yoga. And if you want the revitalizing, um, you know, plunge into the cold water, we have that. And then we, we slowly go into the ceremony. It's an intramuscular ketamine experience. And then we come slowly out of that into integration and re reflection, relaxation after that, everyone's really hungry and we have a meal with a private chef. And then we conclude with a sound bath at sunset. So it's just a really beautiful way to have a restorative Saturday. And then for people who want to go deeper than that, we have full retreats that are Thursday to Sunday where you check in and you stay at Birdsong for three nights. It's easy to get to in that it's in the heart of Phoenix. So it's it's very centrally located. and. You don't have to go to the far-flung corners of the earth to get there. It's very comfortable. And we kind of tend to your every need. There's massage after your journeys. There's art therapy. All the meals are with a private chef. So it's very comfortable and relaxing, a little more upscale. And so we're trying to find a way to make this kind of therapy accessible, both for people who are local in Phoenix, but also people who are coming in from all over the world to do it. So it's a little different in that in certain regards. Yeah. And who, um, you know, like so far, like who are the kinds of people you'd say are interested in this, right? It sounds like it's geared more toward, you know, like adults, parents, like people, you know, people who are, you know, kind of, how do I see it? Like, um, you know, needing retreat rather than, how do I say it? I'm, I'm trying to like put the, put the words to the demographic, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning it as something like busy parents who, like you said, like need just like a day on Saturday to be with themselves or, um, you know, are there, you know, the other question I had is like, how, are there any particular themes that you're working with? I know you talked about having themed yoga retreats. Is there anything in particular with the themes of birdsong that you would work, that you would incorporate into the retreats? Well, I mean, just the kind of the first topic you brought up, I mean, it's people I think who are looking for a softer landing into psychedelics. Um, a lot of the people on our first retreats were actually older. Um, in their, I mean, I'm 50 
And a lot of them were my age or even older and people entering into retirement and frustrated with not knowing what comes next, who are interested in, in kind of the unlock. How do I do something more adventurous and bold and courageous? Because that speaks to who they want to become in this next stage of their life. So that really took me by surprise that it was older. Like, you know, my mom recently had a, came in, she's 76 and she came in and, and did one, which was caught, you know, very surprising and she loved it. So I think it's not just for young people. It is for older people, especially because it's overseen by doctors and nurses and it's legal. I think that feels safer for someone who's new to it. Um, but as far as, Topics, um, you know, I mean, we're we're there's a lady right now that we're talking to who does couples therapy, and so she's going to be running retreats for couples who are looking to reconnect. And she does like a light dose of ketamine, and then creates conversation with couples. And supposedly, I haven't experienced it with my wife, but I have experienced. Um, I do know that when you're in a long-term relationship, psychedelics can be a huge unlock for ways that you're stuck in your relationship. So that's one example. We're having couples retreats, um, starting to talk about a yoga retreat, which is something I've done for many years. But if you add the psychedelic component and you integrate physically with, with yoga, there's a lot of power there. And I think there's a lot of yoga retreats out there. I don't know how many psychedelic yoga retreats there are. So we're, we're definitely, I think, experimenting with what ideas um, resonate deeply with, with people who are interested in this extra dimension of exploration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to also talk about the quality of the ketamine experience, right? And how it is different than regular psychedelics because it's a dissociative. So what about ketamine you know you talk about it being a softer landing um you know like what what do you think is like the value in ketamine as a quote-unquote psychedelic and how um does the dissociative aspect of it actually lend to the to the healing well i mean it gives you a break from yourself you know for me just personally the ptsd from what I went through with my daughter, I have many, many great days and some days that are where I, I get triggered and scared and worried. I think that's normal for, you know, I've gone through going through something like that. And I just need a break for myself, <laughs> you know, and the ketamine is like, it's like it disconnects my brain from my reality. And I feel when I'm done with the journey, like just so relaxed. And I know that people are listening probably like, why do you need that? Can't you just do yoga or meditation? And yes, I love yoga and meditation. I'm doing it for 25 years. But sometimes that doesn't totally do it when the trauma is so intense. And we've had a lot of people, a lot of veterans, not to compare myself to a veteran, it's very different, but we have had a lot of military veterans who have come in and they have profound results. We have a lot of people with addiction who come in and have profound results. There's been some cases where, with suicidal ideation. Um, and then just a lot of people who want a deeper exploration. 
and they don't feel like they can get deep enough within themselves because they're just too busy, too distracted. And so either way, it's a disassociative. It disconnects you from yourself. It allows you to explore the kind of the depths of your mind. And it's only about, you're only in the medicine for about an hour. So it's, it's not the same um, as the psychedelics that require four, six, eight hours of time. And in some ways, I do think those are more profound. I mean, the plant medicines are, I would say they are more profound. They take you deeper within yourself. You're dealing with like the, the spirit and the wisdom of the plant. And it's amazing. But ketamine also has a place in this world. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you want a psychedelic journey. That's not six hours. You just want an hour. You can function again fully that day. Not to say you drive home from any of these journeys, but you, you, you're fully functioning and you just need a break from yourself sometimes. And I think ketamine is a very powerful way to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it because it, like you said, it, it just works so well in life, right? Like it's kind of without having to dive, you know, without having to carve out 10 hours of your day or whatever, like it just integrates into your life. Um, but I was, I was about to say, you don't have to just dive in. And meanwhile, my experience with the intramuscular ketamine was you're just dropped into the deep end of it in this very kind of gentle way, um, which with other psychedelics that come up, um, to get to such a deep place usually comes with a little bit of like flutters or, you know, you, you feel it happening. And, um, you know, what I experienced again with having done ketamine in various formats at this point, um, the intramuscular was, was really special. I felt like I was just like dived off, (laughs) like went off a diving board and was just like swimming in the waters from the deep end, um, within, you know, a couple minutes of, of getting the injection. Um, is there, you know, is there a reason why you focus on IM or intramuscular? Well, I mean, the the most popular format for ketamine is the trochee. It's like the lozenge. There's a lot of telehealth ketamine that you get the subscription prescription in the mail. Um, and I think the IM takes you deeper, um, takes you deeper, faster, it's more measured. So it's based on your body weight and your comfort and experience with psychedelic medicine. So it's a little more based on the individual. I, uh, the trochee is more like kind of a, a basic dose that you take. Um, so it's not as measured. And then there's the IV, which is usually given for pain relief and for people with suicidal ideation it's a slower, not as deep, but more prolonged um, experience of ketamine. So there's three sort of ways that I'm familiar with that that it's administered. Mm. Yeah, I I guess the I- IM is a little. Um, the IM is intramuscular. You need to have an, a doctor or a nurse practitioner present, so it's not as readily available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um. And I've done both the I now I've done the IM, you know, last week at day trip and also IV at another ketamine clinic a long time ago. And it yeah, I, I recognize when you say it's sort of prolonged, but not as kind of 
jumping as deeply in. Um, either way, though, you know, ketamine is such an interesting, weird, dreamy, like it's it's the psychedelic that I've had um, the least ability to describe the experience of. And, you know, as for mm. I describe psychedelic experience and ketamine is just like <clears throat> so beyond words and so hard to just so hard to explain what's actually happening. Cause it's maybe it's because so much of you is just like, not even there. Like you said, you take a break from yourself um, in a way where other psychedelics like psilocybin or acid or even MDMA, you're like, you know, you're, you're hyper associated, you know, you're really in your body. Um, you're really kind of dissecting your mind. Um, even if you do have an element of like ego dissolution, but with ketamine, it feels like you're, you're almost outside yourself, like looking in, um, I don't know, kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know what other people's experiences are generally, but you know, it's, it's just so hard to grasp. And is that, does that resonate with you at all or sound familiar with your experiences with it? Yeah. It's, it's interesting the way you, you kind of um, contrasted them. I saw this movie yesterday. It's like a really old movie and it was about basically this guy who could travel back in time to certain moments and have a do over. And at the end of the movie, he realizes he doesn't want to travel back in time, but he wants to live each day as if he's living it for the second time you know, and that you could come to your day as like, and show up a second time. There's a lot of things we do differently. You know, you'd have a better sense of humor and not take it so seriously, appreciate your loved ones, you know, be more present with them, just enjoy it probably a little more than we normally do. And I think ketamine kind of has that effect where you come back to your, your body <laughs> and it's, it's as if you're living that day very differently, but it is very much the same day. Like you, after your session in Phoenix, we, we had dinner that night. It wasn't like you were holed up in a room, <laughs> you know, come, you know, kind of coming back to your body. I mean, it's, it's, it is you still very much the same day that you can get back to your life. But I think you come back to your life almost as if you're living in a second time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, that analogy a lot. Um, you know, I felt, pretty loopy, um, for a few hours after. Um, but I did feel very much like back in the world. Um, and it was almost just like taking like a weird, like intermission from my day for a couple hours went during the ketamine and just coming back and having it be fairly normal. Um, you know, the other thing I noticed kind of in the experience was that I was, you know, even though it is dissociated, um, I was able to sort of feel my body differently, you know, like I could feel like heaviness around my chest or, you know, kind of different, you know, I would wiggle my toes just to like remind myself that I could, even though it didn't even feel like my toes at that point. Um, but, you know, I wonder like how ketamine, um, you know, helps us reframe our kind of somatic experiences in the body, you know, like how we're carrying emotions on like carrying something on the chest, right? Like a heaviness on my chest that I need to get off my chest or something like that, um, which the ketamine put into very uh, stark relief. Um, you know, is that, have you heard people kind of talk about their physical somatic experiences with ketamine? Well, this is where it gets tricky because when I'm talking about 
bird song and psychedelic experiences. I mean, I don't think it, it creates a miracle for people, but it sets you up for your own miracle. And I think that stuff almost happens after the fact, like, you know, it, it lightens the load. It shows you insights, but then you have to do the work after to stay connected to those insights and stay connected to that lightness of being. And I think for me, those, those experiences that you're describing come less during the journey and more during the work after, because I I get, I don't like to make promises to people that this is going to change your life and what the end, like what's going to happen during your psychedelic journey is, you know, going to be a complete miracle because I think when, when you can't just keep doing psychedelics all the time, that was, there was a period where I was doing a lot of psychedelics and I was like, this is going to do it for me. And I realized you can't psychedelic your way through everything. So those experiences you're describing, I think you have to do the work after your, your psychedelic experience. What does that work look like for certain different people, you know, in the integration period? I mean, for me, it's meditation. You know, I have these guided meditations that I send as an integration tool for people that come to Birdsong. And it's a seven day series. And then if they want to take it into 365, I I provide that for them. Just taking a few minutes in your day to remember the music, the sense the, you know, the sensory, um, components of the psychedelic journey. And that is a bridge that reconnects you to where, what you felt, where you went, who or what you saw, and then how do you bring that into your day to day? I think meditation is a huge tool and sensory experience is a huge tool. It's just one example. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, so much of my own integration philosophy is take something sensory from the psychedelic experience and then integrate that or apply it in your regular life. So if even if you're listening to the same music that you listen to under the medicine or, um, you know, if you worked with essential oils or something. Sorry. but yeah, like you said, taking something sensory and kind of integrating it into your regular life, um, which is why I'm, when you talked about doing a ketamine yoga retreat at Birdsong, that sounds really perfect because so much of um, the consciousness, the memory of consciousness is stored in the body. And so if we can kind of trigger those memories and somatic awareness through yoga um, and associate the yoga poses with, you know, with kind of different healing states, I think that could be really powerful. I agree completely. And I hear, I still hear the purists in my head because there are a lot of beautiful, pure people in yoga saying, why do you have to bring psychedelics into yoga? Yeah. <laughs> I can just hear those comments right now, but this is not for everyone. I always say that this is not for everyone. And you definitely get some pushback from people, but it is for people who feel stuck and the the things that they're doing to get unstuck are not working and they're looking for a way to grow and looking for something that's adventurous and different and it's not for everyone but it is for some people and i, I think mean, that i think you said it's like it's not about bringing yo- psychedelics into yoga i think it's about bringing yoga into psychedelics and that, that kind of changes the frame 
I love that. Well said. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It was when you were talking before about like the yoga and chocolate or yoga and wine that I'm actually curious what that looks like. Um, but you know, for me, like the, the most, uh, sacred part of psychedelic experience is, is I call it this like sparkle period where the, where the medicine is wearing off and you still kind of have like insight into that medicine consciousness. You go toe in still or foot in, but you're in your regular, you're starting to come into regular life. And that, that little period is so valuable for the integration, which is when you can start to really incorporate yoga or some other modality that, that will become the bridge between normal consciousness and medicine consciousness. Yes. And that was also the idea you asked about the chocolate and wine. Like it's when you're coming out of yoga and you're really relaxed and all your senses are heightened because, you know, everything now is digital and a great moment happens. And it's like instantly we want to photo, video, text it, share it. And the moments that really stay with us are those we record through our senses. So, you know, when you taste this delicious chocolate truffle coming out of your Shavasana, you're probably more likely to remember that experience, that Shavasana, than if you just rushed from your Shavasana to roll up your mat and run to your car. So, I mean, yeah, I think the sensory experience is sort of forgotten in our world today. I don't think they have an app on your phone that can, that can create that yet. And we need that because that's how we really form powerful memories. Yeah. And I think also so much of the spirituality of an experience is stored in the sensory. You know, I, you know, we see that so much in the, in the practice of religion, right? Like you light candles for Shabbat, you're doing something physical, but it's the idea is bringing in physical, like spiritual light. Um, you know, that's just like one very simple example. Um, but, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, kind of like higher levels of con- expanded or higher levels of consciousness that are induced, you know, through a psychedelic or even through a really deep yoga practice, um, you know, it's about really harnessing that light and, you know, finding ways to contain it, you know, when you're not always there, if that makes sense. Yes. And when when we start talking about higher levels of consciousness, I feel like it makes me want to share. I think that kids are already very psychedelic (laughs) and holding on to that is hard. Like we're having this conversation in our house right now with my nine-year-old who is asking if Santa Claus is real. We're Jewish, but we also celebrate Christmas. And he's hearing murmurings at school that Santa's not real. And so it's kind of an interesting time because you want to keep that alive as long as you can. And like, I, I would almost say like these magical, like the tooth fairy and Santa Claus is sort of a higher state of consciousness. And there's all this research now, you know, the, the lesson that we're telling our son is like Santa only brings gifts and only is real to people who believe in him. And there's truth to that because there's all this research now about the placebo effect and how powerful the brain is in creating its own pharmaceuticals and its own um, power to heal. But you have to believe that that's possible. And there's all this research on how uh, the placebo is real. And so I think like, you know, we don't just create a higher consciousness through psychedelics. Psychedelics does help open your mind to, to a state of belief. Because if you have any doubt 
you know, it's just shrouds all of it shrouds the higher state of consciousness. And I think psychedelics is a catalyst to help you get to a state where you see there's so much beauty around you and within you. And, and you can believe again in a way that you could believe when you, in the days when Santa was real, but you don't have to do psychedelics to do that. But the question is, how are you going to do that? Because if you're in a doubtful, skeptical state, it's really hard for these, these healing shifts to happen. So when you say higher state of consciousness, I just wanted to talk about Santa. Yeah. I think, you know, we talked about magical thinking, right. And people kind of use that term in a derogatory way, but I think there's also something really beautiful about being able to like hold something, you know, think magically, you know, magical thinking that Santa Claus is real or that, you know, the, profound light and and groundedness and that you can feel simultaneously in a psychedelic experience is like is that 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 exists right like so many of us have just not even had such an experience and when we do it's can be really life-changing just the memory of knowing that that's possible and like you know that's that's magic to me so yeah yes and stories one of the integration tools i always share with people if you're willing to share the story of your psychedelic experience because part of the placebo effect that makes it work in the research is that you're part of a story, you know, in the set in the setting. And even they call it the medical theater where you go in and they give you a placebo surgery and there's all these crazy things that happen in, in terms of healing because there was a medical theater. And so I think like we all love stories. Everybody's a sucker for a good story and the way to keep your psychedelic experience alive is by telling the story. People love to hear stories. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage people to do that. And there, you very well might have seen Santa and the Tooth Fairy in your psychedelic journey, which makes it that much more interesting. <laughs> so speaking of stories, I wanted just to ask you, you know, the title of your book, Happy is the New Healthy, is just, you know, I think kind of so much of the message that we're, the underlying message of what we're talking about. And so, you know, how does happiness um, you know, regulate us, you know, how, like, how does coming into joy and happiness kind of enable health? And, um, you know, how does that relate to what we're talking about here with psychedelic healing? Well, I mean, the great lessons on happiness that I learned in writing that book were inspired by that 111 year old lady. And it wasn't always what you think. I mean, you know, she, part of it was resilience, and she was married five times. So we call that resilience. And I think it's very, very common nowadays. I see it with kids. You know, when things don't go your way, you just collapse into a puddle of frustration. And a lot of people are defined by what didn't go right in their life. And that's their story. And, you know, happy people, it doesn't always mean things go right, but it's how quickly you bounce back and what you learn from it. And that you're willing and able to grow. And so that's a big lesson that I learned from her. And then she had a great sense of humor. You know, the social worker put his hands on her shoulders to help her lie down because she was 111. And she said, are you propositioning me? So she still is making like sex jokes at 111. And we just have to remember not to squeeze so tight. And the real gift that I learned from her was the joie de vivre. I mean, that's a huge part of psychedelics is that you remember that life is beautiful, you know, and that it's, it's amazing to smell and taste and feel and listen. And sometimes 
we just get caught in the in the grind of the day and we don't take any time for joie de vivre. I mean, a lot of the old people, like that's their thing. Like the oldest lady ever, she was 122 years old and she died in 1997. Her name was Jean Calmont and she ate two pounds of chocolate each week. Um, you know, another lady went, uh, drank homemade brandy every day. Another lady went, always asked for fried chicken at the old age home until she was 110 and they wouldn't give it to her because it was bad for her cholesterol and she told him to go to hell. But like, you know, there's such an emphasis as there should be on, on diet and exercise and meditation and all these things are so important, but if you're not enjoying life, like it's all for naught. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing happy is you have to make sure that you're doing something each day that just is like a deep joy. It doesn't have to be all day. And, you know, it's not going to be the end all to all the problems, but just make sure you're having that moment where you're really cherishing it. Wow. That's such a, you know, I think that's really just so much of what we're trying to do. And I think what psychedelics can wake us up to, but it's really not even about the psychedelics. It's just like finding those things that, you know, that elicit that level of like joy and contentment and just appreciation for being alive, um, which is a kind of a very spiritual practice. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, you hear it all the time, like the gift of being alive, but it is many days go by that we don't, we are forgotten. You know, I mean, like what what happened last Thursday, what happened two weeks ago, Friday, I mean, most people, myself included, we don't remember that. And so, you know, if you could take, make sure that you have a moment every day that you cherish and you put your head on the pillow to go to sleep and you like, I don't know what the hell happened today, but like, let me tell you, something that I do remember. And you, and you share that because it's contagious to talk about it instead of talking about what's hurting and what's who's annoying you and what sucks in your life. Tell me like something amazing from today. And, and I need to practice this too. I'm like the farthest thing from perfect. It's just like, how do we have a, how do we tell better stories and how do we have a conversation that makes you feel good? Yeah. So that's what I'm trying, trying to do here. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to add or talk about or, you know, just kind of any like last thoughts or. I mean, yes, yeah, so we definitely want to invite, invite you to Birdsong. It's the website is birdsong38.com, B-I-R-D-S-O-N-G-3-8.com. And you can look up day trip health in Phoenix. And so if any of this is interesting to you, it's a very inviting soft landing into this world of psychedelic therapy. But if you're not interested in psychedelics and you want to join me, you can go to my website, davidromanelli.com. And I'd love to connect with you, hear from you, meet you, invite you on a meditation journey. Um, and just have a little more fun each day. Cause I need it too. <laughs> so perfect well i was gonna ask how people can find you but you just gave all the information <laughs> um well thank you so much for coming on the show and just for the work that you're doing in the world and your perspective just brings so much light so just want to say that with, you know from from me personally i just feel so much gratitude for getting to know you likewise thank you so much madison thank you thank you